Are you ready? Alright, today we're going to start with analytics in baseball. Alright, so we're going to have a roundtable discussion. Everybody's going to get their opinions in. We've got a five-minute timer. As soon as the end of that timer drops, we're going to drop that topic and go to the next one. Five, five minutes. Five minutes. Good, good luck. Is there a shot clock one anywhere, or you just keep it in, we'll in your head? We'll just put one up. I'll right. say we should have one. Yeah. <laughs> we had that other one, remember? We I bought. want the buzzer. Oh, yeah. we've, got that, we've got that boxing timer in the gym <laughs> over at DST. We can set five minutes. So we bought one like that, but we bought like the Chinese version, oh. and the remote has 30,000 buttons. Oh, and geez. you got to, yeah. The entire manual is in Chinese. I got to so. stop going so cheap. <laughs> so wait, do you start the timer once we start I'm gonna, talking? I'm going to read the topic, and then I'll start the timer. I love this. This is great. All right, so first topic. Does analytics play too much of a role in today's game? Go. Shit, this is harder than I thought. All right, I guess I'll start it off. Yeah. Um, so I think it, I, I understand the direction of the analytics side. Um, I do think it's, it's taken a, I wouldn't say too much of a role. I just think that that, um, that segment of baseball hasn't been filled out yet. So what I keep telling people is we have a lot of these analytics guys, especially in professional baseball, that are pushing the game in a new direction, which I think is generally a good direction. But I do think they've gotten arrogant to the point that they don't understand that the players that are playing now are going to have the experiential factor of the old school coaching, and they'll understand and know how to implement analytics better than purely analytics-based um, employees. Yeah, so I'll kind of take the stand for maybe when you say baseball, I'm going to go down to the younger ages and that anything that's happening at the top that's big and it's buzz, right? For private, the private sector, that's what we want to start getting into. It's hot topics that kind of brings new clients in, rep sodos, all this technology. But at the same time, we're not taking the time to really understand how does it truly apply to high school and maybe even younger and youth athletes, right? We're going for it, but we're putting these opinions out there like because major league players are doing it, we're now comparing youth and adolescent athletes to major leaguers and trying to use the same data and key points for them. And I just think it's kind of getting lost in the shuffle and translation. Why does it matter for, you know, for a youth kid to be able to elevate a baseball or to hit a certain launch angle or, or not, you know, um, it's one of those things that from a youth side, I think you need to understand it or get to understand it or get to know it, but you still play, you know, you, it's, it's still about playing baseball. It's still about, you know, executing certain, certain things on the field, being able to do that, understanding that part of the aspect of the game. Um, but does it play a role? Man, from the youth side, I'm going to say no. It doesn't play a role. Yeah, I mean, I, just to say that, like these new analytics, like the old analytics, as per se, like they still play, though. It's like it's like we're trying to take the new stuff and say that it's covering and is, this is better than the old way we've done it. But the new is what still plays. The old is what still plays out there on the field. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, for a hitter at a young age, I mean, exit velocity, what else? What else matters when you're a youth and a high school player per se – you know, inside in the cages. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, I think with youth athletes, I think it's definitely gotten overblown to where, you know, people are hyping up kids that are nine, 10 years old with these 
these metrics that we don't know if they're ever going to translate or anything like that. And what's getting lost is the actual game, right? Playing the game, enjoying the game, understanding situational base running, uh, pitches, how, how to attack hitters, how to read swings, things like that are getting lost at earlier and earlier ages. And it's not about fun anymore. It's becoming about um, just like that actual metric chasing. You know, the only thing I think of is like if I was, if I was playing in today's world, you know, as a youth kid, um, you know, and I saw a guy who's, who's, who, you know, his interpretation or his opinion about how to elevate a baseball and, and figure out how to get this guy out to me, it's easy. Somebody has a catcher to see it, or, or if I'm, a, if I'm, you know, good enough on the mound to actually throw a, a ball where I want to, like, I would be able to get a lot of guys out just based off of watching swings. And this is what they're being taught. You know, if that is what it is, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, as a, as an instructor, it's about, barrel awareness and barrel control and understanding where your barrel is the whole time you swing. Yeah. And for everybody saying that it's being overblown, in my opinion, it's major league baseball. I mean, that's what we see. We see it on TV, MLB network, what's happening there and how major league teams are utilizing this, but it's the private sector who is driving this out of control. It's not even select teams. They're not using rep sodos and they're not getting these guys on the field with the stuff. They're still teaching the game. They're still teaching base running and how to execute. It's guys like us who have gotten on Twitter and social media and have tried to take over the world and how we should apply this data and these analytics. And I'm just sitting back scratching my head going, what? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the point of an insanity that it's gotten to, and JR, going to your point with hitting, is you now have dad coaches that understand some analytics, and now they're going to tell Chipper Jones he's wrong about hitting. Or they're going to talk about Mike Schmidt being wrong about hitting. When it's like, hey, this is how they generated it. Not everyone needs to hear, you need to launch it at this angle. Just say, hey, some, most of these guys just need to think maybe swing down to the ball, even if that's not actually what's happening. Instead of chasing these metrics, they should be learning how to play the game. Mm -hmm how does technology enhance the training process, whether it be Tendo units or uh, Rapsodo or K-Vest or anything of that nature? Yeah, for me, I think technology just kind of helps simplify the process a little bit inside here. It's, it's, and also it quantifies what we're doing. So it's not to use the smoke show to say, hey, look what we're doing. We have this technology come in here and get on it. For me, I need to validate myself. I need to know that what we're doing actually works. So if we're sitting here putting out that we are driven by technology and we were using this, I need to know that the programs we're applying to a kid um, are working and it's simple. So some of that technology can sim simply be like we use um, driveline track, right? We, we've a lot of money to, to work with them on that and they've done a great job forming it and shaping it to a performance edge and what we need. But that gives us, that's technology that we use that can help us track and progress, you know, and watch the progress of all of our players over time. And we can look back at it and say, hey, where are his numbers where he started? And through different data points, and we can see progression and growth. So for me, it just quantifies what we're doing. It quantifies our program and validates everything that we're doing. And the athletes know that it allows them to buy in a little bit better. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I think it's, it's, it's more of an affirmation um, in a in a means of testing like you know in, in sports performance we always have had testing days and things like that and it's really just a way to collect measurements as we go instead of having to break everything down into these different testing days and it's a way to really see if everything we think it, that we're trying to affect in our training whether that be in skill or in the weight room or speed is actually making that athlete better at what we think we're trying to make them better at and so then it makes us better coaches too and when it comes to like tendos um, and bar, the uh, Tendo is a bar speed measurement tool in the weight room. And, you know, if you, if you can't coach without the tech, then you're not a very good coach. But yeah. one thing that the Tendo does do uh, very well is it gets the athlete 
uh, to not cheat or uh, cheat any reps um, because they're actually competing with that instant feedback rep and rep and rep and rep. Now, yeah. if we're focusing on technique with a young athlete, we're probably not going to whip out the tendo unit. But when we're trying to get that little extra percentage with an, uh, with an advanced training age athlete, then it's very helpful to get them to buy in. Yeah, so like one of the things that you know, we like to try to do uh, from a hitting side is is to actually show, you know, really the series of events that happen during a swing. Uh, you know, we use, um, you know, uh, what, uh, slow, you know, slow motion capture or, or, high, frame or high frame rate, rate video. Um, we'll also use uh, the... Episode uh, Blast. No, what's it? The K-Vest. You, yeah. you know, from a series standpoint, uh, actually show what's what's turning on, what's turning off, and what order it's happening. Um, but at the same time, it's it's one of those things like we'll do it, you know, just to show them where they are, and we'll go back in six weeks and test it again. But it's not something that we do every single time they come in. Uh, we don't use blasts all the time, you know. I, it's it's just it's just we give them what they what we feel like they need to see, what they need to know at that at that point in time, and where they're at in their swing, and then we move on, you know, to the to the next thing. But high frame rate video is something that's been used for. You use it for a long time now. As as far as you know, the quality of things go, now you use your cell phone, and you know, like I ask guys to video swings all the time, you know, especially in game. Use your cell phone, you know, on on your iPhone, and, and and you're able to see pretty quality, you know, type video. Yeah, Kevin said something just a minute ago that it, you know, if if you can't coach it without the tech, then you're not a real good coach. And go back to it. So the, why I like using it is it takes my opinion out of it, right? And it's not opinions anymore. Like these, are, this is facts. Mm-hmm. And you can use it, you can compare, and you can show. Now I can present, especially when dealing with high school athletes, because if they come in and they're 80, you know, 80, 82 junior year, like you can show them a guy who was similar in the past because you have this data collected to say, this is the process we used with him. Yours will be similar, not the same, but this is how he tracked, this is what. And now you can start, you, you, you just put yourself back through it. But I trust like a Kevin Poppy. If I brought my son to Kevin and said, hey, what do you think about him and the strength? I trust his eye to say this is what he needs, right? I trust you to work with my son and say this is what he needs as a hitter. But now you can show me and visually I can see it and see these numbers of where he's at and what he should and start setting expectations. One of the forms of, I mean, data and technology that we use all the time is a weight scale, right? How do you know if you don't jump on the weight scale, if you've been hitting it and you've been dieting and you've been getting after it for six weeks, other than Kevin saying, Hey man, you look good and you look good today. You look better. Okay. Well, thanks. But when you jump on a scale and once people can start seeing results and you have these, this, this technology to track it and show progression, boy, you can start getting these athletes when they start Mm -hmm. seeing it, they just start pushing that envelope a little bit more. Yeah. That's a great point. The scale analogy is great. So it's becoming more and more common for, you know, high schools and universities to use kind of a privatized third party, um, company. I would guess to uh, to train their players. So, what do you guys think about moving towards that side of, of high school ball, where somebody else is taking their athletes and training them? Like, Ooh, <clears throat> go through that question one more time. Just want to make sure I'm completely understanding. So, like, we have a few high schools that will remain unmentioned that we train the majority of their core staff. Katie, sure, yes, Katie, and other schools, but. Um, we, we train the majority of their core staff. What do you think about making that? Uh, like outsourcing? Yes, out, outsourcing their training. This is a thing in college? No. Is this getting bigger? It is. No. 
Okay, so I'll yeah, I'll jump on that question first. Then um, one, if we're if we're talking about the United States, I and mean, that's one thing we're talking about Texas with UIL, it's not going to happen. I mean, it can happen in the private sector in the summertime, in the fall. It can happen as a hey, I highly recommend you go to these guys. Um, but until UIL kind of breaks some of the rules, there it, it's going to be difficult to do it. My thing is is for me, I would want my athletes training and progressing with the best that there is. Unfortunately, UIL has handcuffed a lot of high school coaches. So as much as we want to talk about them and what they don't do, you need to stop and realize what they're even capable of doing. And some of these high schools, they didn't go to Hardin Jefferson High School like I did, where we had 40 guys coming out for the whole, you know, all three teams. They got a lot of kids coming out there and they don't have the staff to manage it. Right. And they have one coach at every level, which, again, it handcuffs them. So to get individual time, individual development, I don't think that's their job. However, I think they want it to be their job. And that's where the confusion is, is, is now they draw this wall that it's us versus them. And when you're here, it's, it's, it's high school time. You're not allowed to go anywhere else. So for me, I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers the question. I don't know. All I'm saying is, is it ain't going to happen in Houston anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with that. I'll take a little different angle on it. Um, we've worked with a few different uh, public high schools in the past where um, basically – they don't have access to the weight room or any training facilities after school. They have very limited time during their athletic period, which is what, 39 minutes or whatever yeah. it might be. Uh, so what we went to the coach with was say, Hey, we can make this affordable for your athletes. You don't have to like make it mandatory, but what you can do is uh, let them know that we're going to make this man, uh, not mandatory, ma make it affordable for them. Yeah. And then you use your athletic period. You can use it for baseball and then send them over and they can have their team accountability. And the guys that want to get better, will get better in the weight room and, it's going to be affordable for everyone and we'll make sure it works. Um, so I think those kind of partnerships are, are awesome and, and can be very strategic, but uh, you're right. Like the way UIL structured, there's no way we're going to be able to get into schools. And like we have, we have, or at least as it stands right now, and we have that partnership with Houston Christian high school right now and, and a small uh, college in Arizona uh, where they outsourced to us and we worked with the university of Houston for a little, for four years, um, yeah, with the baseball program. Yeah, sure. So there was some outsourcing and I think it's beneficial because basically what it does is it puts in those programs where they're really only paying for a coach, but they really have access to a staff and a whole support system behind it, which should benefit them a lot more than just bringing in their own outside coach to be their internal coach. It makes a lot more sense to have a partnership with an organization. But like you said, with the structure with UIL and public schools in Texas right now, it's just is handcuffed. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. The, you know, kids, if they're not getting enough in high school, they're going to seek elsewhere. They're going to go wherever they think the best, you know, best fit for them is. Is And as a high school coach, you can either accept the, the fact that they're going to do that or you can, you know, be a be an a-hole about it and, and tell them either, no, it's either my way or the highway, you know, that's, and that's kind of the, the line some of these guys are getting right now is, is, you know, we're all here to make those guys better. And the quicker that everyone understands that and, and the faster that everyone gets on the same page of that, the player is going to be See, the one benefiting from it. That's what I don't understand. And this has already come up again this year. It happens every year with our, with our pitchers, you know, coach said this and I'm supposed to be doing this and not listening to you. Like, I don't feel that way. I'm always asking them, what is your high school coach saying? And I'm trying to help them translate it and get through that process. But I don't feel that way. I have no problem with a high school coach and, and no, nothing against the high schools. Right. But I'm with these guys more than they are on a year round basis. A lot. And they spend a lot of time. I know them personally and we care. 
but I have no problem with them getting in the bullpen with them and working with my guys. So why, why do they have an issue on the other side of it? That's what blows my mind and until, so it's an ego thing. So I think really it's a team by team basis and a coach by coach basis, but Hey, let's say I was the high school coach. I took over and said, I'm going to get a high school job and I was head coach. You know, would I have the ability to pass over and hire a pitching coach and let somebody else handle the pitchers or would I have to be hands on with it? I like to think that I would be, Hey, you know, I'm going to bring you in. You handle the pitching staff. I got to do my duties as a head coach. Um, but I understand it, I, I guess in a way, I don't know if it's a credit thing. I don't know what it is, man. Well, I think, I think it, at the end of the day, it's probably a bit of a trust thing with those coaches. And I think that's where it, it behooves us on the private side to reach out. We can point the fingers all we want, but yeah. we can reach out to coaches in the area um, and try to develop those relationships. So the trust is built. But what I think happens is these coaches see these kids going to these places. They have no, they know nothing about and the kids aren't translating the information well to the coaches. And so the coaches knee jerk reactions to push back and yeah. say like, no, you, you need to just do what we're doing. And, and everything that we just got through talking about in the earlier time, Topics about analytics and what's going on social media, it's it's not a wonder. I'm not surprised of why they would be very hesitant to say what they're doing outside. They don't they don't know us. So why should they trust us? With the current recruiting market, are numbers and videos, metrics of that sort more important now than ever in the recruiting world? <clears throat> Read it again. In the with the current recruiting market, are numbers, metrics, and videos more important than ever before? Absolutely, they are important for the fact that Division One schools can't openly recruit. Uh, so how else are you going to get the word out? How else are you going to you know relay information uh, to a guy? You know that it's it's seeking out you know players. And so I know on our end, like if somebody calls and says, "Hey, what do you got on this guy?" Well, you know I have you know Rapsodo report on it from from a throwing standpoint, or I have hitting videos you know from Rapsodo or whatnot. Or I can basically get you anything you want, you know, about a guy. Just tell me what you want, and we'll get it. Um, you know, that's that's how they're recruiting right now. Is is simply by just by you know some guys they know, they'll call them up. What do you got? You know, that's that's how it works right now. Um, without being out, you know, without being able to get out and see guys. So absolutely, it's it's crucial. It's it's important right now. Yeah, I think um, last weekend, a couple weekends ago, I went out and watched uh, St. Ed's play, and Blake Holland was throwing and. Uh, there was about eight, nine teams that were out there watching him, and I happened to be sitting in front of one of the Phillies uh, analytics and data scouts, right? And um, anyway, he was sitting there talking, and um, he asked me, hey, what is performance edge? And I told him, I said, well, I work with Blake, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'll, long story short, um, I, I talked to him and said, hey, I have Rapsodo reports. Um, I have other video and data. And he's like, dude, I, I want that like right now. So I sent him that. And it's funny. He's like, as soon as I sent him that, he like got up and left. I mean, he had everything and he's like, Hey, if you get anything else you can send me on him, that's absolutely what I need. It just dives in and gives him a different report where he's out there and watching. And from the recruiting side of it, you know, I'm still, I'm still kind of on both ways of it, you know, of how does it play? So we can send these numbers out to coaches, the exit velos. I think it's what data you're sending and what videos you're sending. Um, I think everybody in this room knows what a college coach needs to see, right? It's, it's not a video with intro music and ACDC blaring in the background, although cool. It did, right? it did work on a, on, for, you know, for a YouTube guy you know, on his YouTube channel. That is true. Yeah. That is true. But yeah, I mean, I just send, they send them directly what they need, but I think people are overblowing it. And, you know, again, 95 mile an hour exit below off a tee, you send that, I don't know if that plays or not. So I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm partial. I don't even know what I believe on that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that 
in today's climate, for sure, it's it's hugely important. Every athlete that I have that is trying to play at the next level and they don't have people beating their doors down, um, I'm pretty much telling them to make a video and write up a form letter to get ready to send out to coaches because that's the way it's going to get done. If they're not beating your door down, you, ne- you need to kind of go to them. And I say come up with a list of schools, make a video, three swings from the open side, swings three swings from behind yeah um you're throwing fielding and cut it but it needs to be no more than a minute long something you could throw out on social media because like it or not like social media plays a big role now like vtool tournaments they post those videos up and people get phone calls off of that so um i think i think it is hugely important but i do think like it's one of those things where it really helps us coaches as far as the trust side of things if if those college coaches or or pro scouts don't know us personally and we give our feedback oh this guy's great he's a dog on the mound he throws hard it's like they want the objective data so they can kind of back that up. Be like, all right, well, look, get a rap sort of report and send it over to me and I'll look it over. You know, it's funny is 21 years ago, um, you know, VHS, uh, you know, recorders, you know, that was the thing. So <laughs> I remember, I remember sitting in Lamar um, one, one day I walk in the clubhouse and, and Scott Hatton is in there watching videos of, of a guy just, he sent his video in. Hey, JR, what do you think about this guy? I'm like, Man, I don't know, coach, it's, you know, whatever you want, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But it's it's that's how recruiting was back back then back in two thousand nine nine you know is, is you sent your VHS tape in, and 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 sent it to whatever school you wanted or you were interested in and that's how you were recruited or start at least starting it out in a sense. What's crazy is twenty one years ago you were nineteen. I know you're old. Yeah. Um, no, I flipped it to the other side. So where it matters, I mean, we always talk about right now during COVID and, and what's going on for the D one players that they you know hey they can't get out and recruit. But I think where it does matter the most is for the guys who are in the middle, the guys who are going Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, JUCO, even, right? Those schools don't have the recruiting budgets and the, and, the, and the necessities needed to go recruit these guys. And so, basically, I like what Kevin said, and you said it before. If they're not coming after you by junior senior year, if you don't have them. You better go to them, right? And you're not you're not going to all be Ross Stripling and just go walk in the coach's office get in there and contact them, send them something with some kind of numbers and data that backs up like, Hey, look, I'm in the cage and I can't swing it. And I do get these numbers that at least starts the conversation, but you do need this stuff to be able to engage with them. And so I would say, yeah, it's a tool that has a, um, high chance of success that if you can put it out there, but you've got to go to the coaches and there's ways to do that. And, and by the way, it, you, by the way, their information is free yeah, exactly. online. <laughs> just, just, just look them up and you don't have to pay. Yeah, you saw what Kevin said. Like, he's telling them, go make a video. And I'm sure like DST, like us, will, hey, we'll help you make it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we don't bill out extra for that. You don't have right. to go pay $3,000 for a recruiting service yeah. for them to tell you what to do anyways. Right. That's what blows my mind. Right. You ju- really just need the, the raw video, and you need three swings open side. They want to see the ball come off the bat, too. Then they want to see you throw and feel your position, maybe two, two things. Don't cut the video between each rep either. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's pretty much all yeah. you need. You don't cut out the bad ones, right? Exactly. If you if you have three swings and they're all different videos, that's not a good look. You need three consecutive swings. <laughs> okay. All right. So the next topic is select ball, essentially select ball slash training. So I'm oh, gonna I'm gonna poke the bear a little bit. There we go. Kevin, you may want to take your DST shirt off for this one if I get rolling. It's not representing DST just anymore. Do, Everything he says is not turned. I'll be like way. this right here. <laughs> nah, we'll all Be right. truthful. So the first topic is, is there really a problem with select ball? Ooh, it's a very broad so, question. So I'm going to go on there and 
we always, everybody's complaining and we're always complaining. We're always bitching. We're always moaning. It's not as good as it used to be. Is it there? So let me, I'm going to cue off this question and let y'all go with it. What he's saying is, is that we're, we're always judging. That's what we do. We judge because we know right. We know better because we're the best. We're the professionals in the industry. Is there truly a problem? And I'm going to say this why. Guys are getting recruited at an all-time high. Guys are performing better at an all-time high. I mean, I, I'm saying that. Uh, I know the old athletes have said, like, kids don't play as well as we used to. I'm sorry, guys. We are evolving. We are adapting. Uh, athletes are better. There's more of them, so I think it's watered a little bit. But is there really a problem in today's model? Or are we just on our soapbox, right, looking so, for attention? So here's, here, here's, here's, here's my, my take on, on the whole select summer scene. Um, used to, it was, um, best players played, you know, and, and on teams in a sense, and today's world, it had, it's become a pay to play. So everybody is entitled to play. If you have the money to pay it, here you go. You're on a team. doesn't matter what color team that is. You're on a team. And there's where I have a problem with it. You know, if it's, if it's one of those things where it's not the best guys, and and it's you know it's it's okay if you have the money let's play then we'll put you on a team and you can go compete against those best guys you know if you feel like you're ready for that and that's that's fine that's their way of, of getting on the same playing field I guess but you're a pay to train and is the problem that they're paying or is it because I do believe that people should be paid for their services and what they're doing or is it the amount that there's nothing governing it that it just continues to rise is it how much we're paying all the above right and that's 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 the thing so. To, to, to play on any organization, the average this summer coming up is, what, $2,750? $2,750 before you know, travel and expenses. And those, those, those tournaments that used to, used to you know, be $1,200, $1,500 are now $2,500 or three grand to play in. So the price of playing has gone up per tournament, per event. And so the coaches, in order to, to, you know, to be able to pay for these things, uh, you know, their prices have to go up. It's, it's just supply and demand. That's what, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't know that uh, I don't know that I'd call the money part of it a problem. I think it's become how we're going about getting that money in in select and club baseball right now. So, um, you know, for for instance, there's more athletes in the market now, right? So if it was just the best players play, there wouldn't be enough teams to go around, and there's always going to be a market. And it's not a it's not a crime to make money letting kids play. However, I would say that a lot of these athletes are being sold a bill of goods and being told that there's opportunities that they're just, they're not going to be. And so I think a lot of these athletes that are put on third, fourth, fifth team on these organizations are being told like, Oh, we're going to get you exposure. You're going to get seen and you're going to go, the colleges are going to look at you. And then perfect games doing the same thing where it's like, well, if you come to our showcase, like you're going to get showcased, you're going to, you're going to show out and the colleges look at our recruiting profile, not, not understanding that there should if, if that was all true, there really should be a minimum like talent level to even be allowed. It should only be invite only. Um, but like, I think, I think that's the, the problem is the way that select baseball right now has morphed into going about getting the money has been by preying on false dreams mm -hmm. and hopes as opposed to Sell actual fear. development. Sell the fear. That's it. So <clears throat> I just did it. I used my technology to use to do math. And if you weren't noticing, I messed up four times, but so I took the average cost 2750 and I just took an average, I'm saying around $2,000 for hotels and food. It's probably more than that, but we'll go with it. So that brings us to $4,750 you're gonna spend on the summer on average. And then I gave every kid seven tournaments and 15 at bats. 
total. So multiply that um, 105 at bats on the summer and divided that. So you're paying $45 per at bat is basically what you're paying for the summer. So when I look at you're breaking down what you're getting on return for me, it's an investment. What are you getting returning investment? So if you're the one or 2%, there's nothing wrong with a select model. If you're ready to be recruited, it is a great model for you to go to. And a lot of guys in our area do a great job putting those kids on the pedestal they need. However, if you're that guy in the mix that needs more development, I'm just saying, if you're spending $45 in a bat, what could you do with $45 per day at a DST or at a Performance Edge or at a Fairchild or somewhere else to help you get to that point to where you need those services? Mm-hmm. So that's me. Yeah, I mean, I would say if, if the organization, like the money, like I said, I'm not going to fault anyone for trying to make some money, but at the, at the same end, sell, like help, help these athletes. So like, like you said, the one or 2%, they should be going to the showcase tournaments and that's what they're paying for. The others should be paying for, okay, we're going to focus on development and all the, every organization preaches development, but when it really comes down to developing, there's not a lot actually right. happening. It's really just filling second and third and fourth and fifth teams to keep the lights on at the facility. So if they would actually focus on the development and sell the development, I would have no issue with the, the money and all that involved yeah. in it. Absolutely. That's a good point. What can we do as, as the privatized you know, development industry? What can we do to help our kids balance training and playing during the summertime or even the fall? I, I don't think there's anything that we can do. I think the first thing that we have to start doing a better job of is being honest. And from day one, when you're doing evaluations and you're setting a plan with this kid, you have to do a better job of understanding their goals and what they're really, truly trying to do. Because if these guys are in there sitting and saying, my ultimate goal is to play college baseball. It's not our job to necessarily um, tell them if they can or can't. It's our job to say, to be able to show them, this is where you're at. This is what it's going to take for you to get there and be honest. Because the one thing in life that we know that is precious that God gave us is time or that it takes away. And that's what these kids lose. So it's like, do we have enough time? Can you commit to us enough time to do our job? And so for me, it's always in the summertime. I think it's a great time to take steps forward. You got May through August for the most part, right? uninterrupted time 24 hours in the day but when you go jump onto something else like summer select ball whatever it is and your schedule the busier you get the less time you have so for us i I think it's really it's being honest with the athlete i don't think there's much more we can do besides saying it's up to them we have to be able to show them that path and why but it's up to them to commit to it they're going to continue to do whatever the norm is and right now the norm is playing in the summer Right. That's the norm. That's what they're that's what they've been brought up, you know, has six U or five U baseball. That's what you do. You play tournaments and you play nonstop. That's what they've been, you know, been told per se. Um, it's our job to to you're right. Tell them the truth. First and foremost, this is the most important aspect of it. But they have to buy into it at some point. If you have a list of what your goals are and what you want to do, and this is what it takes to be a, a, a college player. But yet this is the time it takes and you're only going to be able to give half that time, you're not going to make your ultimate goal and, and play college baseball, whatever level that is. And, and for us to be honest is one thing, but for them to buy into that is, is another, yeah. another beast in its own. Right. So I think, I think going on that, that's that y'all both made great points, but that's building relationships with the athletes to where they trust you. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it is exactly what you said, being honest with them and saying, Hey, um, before you go into the summer, you need to think about this. You're, you want to play college baseball. You want to play at least at a Division two level. You're throwing 75 miles an hour, and you're going into your junior year next year. Going to showcases gives you a worse chance of making it. Training to actually develop some tools will give you a better chance of making your end goal. Now, 
it's up to you. If you want to play baseball in summertime with your friends, go for it. But understand that this is going to set you back and it's probably not the best thing for you. Um, having said that, like it is on them to buy in and make their own decisions and you can't fault them for making it because, you know, at the end of the day, it might just be a reality check of where their goals actually are and right. what actually is important to them. You know, the funny thing is like, there's a guy and I'm not going to, I'm not going to drop a name right now, but we all have had, 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 have been in contact with this certain individual. He, his, his catching ability is, is by far, you know, more advanced than anybody I've ever seen at, at this age. And again, been around some good ones. Right. But, I told him at, at, at 10 years old, like, you're going to be a major Division One catcher. You're going to be that just because you have that tool set. But what's going to yeah. keep you from being a draft guy is your inability to hit. Once you get your college deal, figure out the hit. Learn how to hit and be a draft guy. Now, this year, he, he's committed already, committed to Mississippi State. Um, now it's, it's in you know, the balls in his court to figure out the hitting side. If he wants to be a draft guy or a pro guy, Figure out how to hit, and I, again, I'm 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 curious to see what he's going to do. What a, you know, I, I think I know what he's going to do. He's not going to he's not going to take some time off. He's going to keep playing. You to, know. to be fair, this same conversation since you brought up college applies to college athletes as well. Like mm-hmm. summer ball, is it really that important no for doubt. you? Like, or do you so, need to spend some time developing? Yeah, and that's what we had this argument last summer with a couple of our athletes in high school, and that's the thing, Kevin. I know you get. It gets, it gets frustrating. I had to have a big talk with our athletes last week. Like, look, if you're going to ask me my opinion and I give it, you don't have to do it. But when you call back again and ask for my opinion again on the same topic, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of doing it because it's like I'm saying what you want to hear or maybe not. I'm telling you what you need, but going and acting upon it is something different. So for the college, it's like, okay, you're going to go play summer ball. What is your goal for it? Well, it's always I got to get better. I got to go. Well, it's throwing 35, 40 innings more. I mean, you threw 100 this past spring. You didn't take the steps forward. So what's another 40 innings going to do for you? You know, and and. And I think it's just fear. It's just fear of not being there following the herd. It's the 80-20 rule. And for me, it's like, hey, if 80% are always going to do this and we know the numbers of who's not getting recruited, go look and see what that other 20% are doing and maybe you'll be able to find a better path. And to be fair, I have seen it the other way where the athlete actually does need just more reps. Like they have mm-hmm. a they have a mental injury uh, block or, yeah. or they've had yep. an injury or, or it's just one of those things they need to get confidence in their ability, but the ability's there. Yeah, go play summer ball. Get those reps in because you didn't get a lot of reps last year because you walked the first five guys you faced, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to finish it, Chris, is is to me, it's, there's just no off-season anymore because as we, talk, it was, we always put emphasis on summer. Well, they're playing high school, then summer starts, then fall starts. So that's really the issue. If we knew that if we could sit back and say, okay, we're going to give them the summer, and but we know when September gets here that we have four to five months to really dive in, maybe it would be different, but we know it's like a scramble to help these guys because there's just no time in the day for it anymore. At Performance Edge, we have people pushing back a little bit um, on, on getting people to buy into the long-term process, right? So why do you think that is? Um, because we live in a world of instant gratification because DST and performance edge and driveline, we post videos of guys throwing 95 and almost getting your face taken off by 105 pull downs and everybody's instant. Like I want that. And it's, it's no different than the podcast that we flipped out a while back with Ross Stripling. People don't understand the road that we see. We see professional athletes. That's, that's what we want. We want the success. We want the money. We all here want that in a way. So do our athletes. 
They don't understand that some of these guys, what they had to do. They didn't see them grinding. They didn't see the injuries. They didn't see the setbacks. All they see are the million-dollar contracts, and they see an easy lifestyle, and they think it's there. I don't think it makes them lazy, but it's like, they again, it goes back to time. I want it now. I need it because I've got to get recruited this summer. What's the quickest, fastest way to get there? So when you start talking long-term, I mean, again, that's a very, like, oh, that could be two months. That could be three months. To me, it's more long-term with these athletes because they don't dedicate the time. You can make quick changes in a three- or four-month period if you just isolate it to that training and just focus. It takes more long-term commitment over a year's because they don't take the time to get away from the game and dedicate that. And it's almost in a selfish way. They don't give themselves the proper time to train and develop. Well, to go on that, when do they need it? You know, they need it when or after the fact they get hurt. Or they need it when they see that window closing. They don't necessarily trust it. You know, I, I need it as a freshman or you know, incoming freshman or a sophomore. They, they, they tend to seek help out when they need help. They don't understand that process of it. That's and, a good point. And that's that to me is what is, is bothersome. Yeah, I mean, at, at DSD, we do preach long-term athlete development and 10,000 hours, and we, we go through that whole uh, spiel with it, with all of our athletes. Um, but to your point, I do think part of it is a return on investment. They want to know, like, if all right, I'm paying money into this, so I want to be able to actually know that I'm making the progress that you claim we're making. So, like, they're looking for some sort of instant measurable that's going to improve. Uh, so I think it's being honest with the parents, redefining goals. Um, like for an eight-year-old athlete, my goal is not necessarily to get him to throw harder. My goal is to get him to move better potentially. My, it might be to clean up his nutrition and be a coach in that way. Um, so I think um, um, that's a big part of it. But like you said, a lot of it is uh, they see that instant. They see those big contracts. They see the cool videos, and they want they want to do that now. And they don't, you know, they don't see that like Hayden Wisniewski. They saw his video po- throwing 98 miles an hour, but but they also don't see that he's trained with us since sophomore year in high school mm-hmm. and yeah. has had. A history of some arm trouble and he's finally gotten out of that and now he's, he's able to let it fly a little bit but it's a long-term process it wasn't a short thing it didn't happen overnight there's no such thing as a overnight success but then you have other coaches in their ears with the accessibility of social media and texting and snapchat and things like that where you have coaches getting in their ears saying well you're not getting the results there you need to come see me because i can get i can guarantee, i guarantee right. you this. the guarantees I like that. I mean, when you also, I think one of the pushbacks is the long-term commitment financially as well. So I know for us, like two days a week, um, two, two hour sessions a week, right? So we're trying to give eight sessions, 16 hours a month of training. It's a 450 a month, right? And you're getting a big return. So if you did that individually and go out and get all this, you're paying way more, right? But in a DST, y'all are somewhere similar. I mean, pricing us like that. So the point is though, is that why are, I would ask this, why are people so hesitant to invest into us sometimes but they will write the check for select ball and tournaments like they don't if the select team says it's three thousand dollars this summer they don't bat an eye they'll write that they'll go buy the hotels they'll pay for the food that's what blows my mind yeah and it's not like even like you think about your nutrition in the summer select scene like when do you have time to actually sit down and and eat right you know right it's, it's, it just doesn't yeah, happen that's hard and that yeah. go, and that goes on us as coaches i'm big on that mm-hmm. is being practical like yeah i can sit there and say you need to eat like seven goji berries and a and some a handful of almonds <laughs> and four, four quarter ounces whatever yeah. you know like, dude i'm getting a taquito yeah, at waterburger like, the field. Well, like listen like it's just not realistic like it might not be the best option to go to smoothie king for a smoothie but like hey it might be what they need to do it might be their best option but they might 
hey, Chick-fil-A's near this place in Lufkin, no. right? So, like, I got a tournament in Lufkin. I'm not going to bring it. And most coach, not most, there are a number of coaches in, in the industry that I work in on the strength and conditioning side that be like, oh, make a cooler. Yeah, but have your fact, Tupperware. Yeah, it's like, can, that's can just you, not going to happen. Can you bring that happen. cooler into the, game, to the park, though? This no. Kid, we're trying no. to change this kid's nutrition from eating Whataburger every other day, yeah. and you're telling him he needs to pack a cooler of Tupperware and healthy foods. Like, it just is not going to happen. It would be great be if it and did. And even if it did, though, they still wouldn't be, they still wouldn't be allowed to bring hey, it in. And we're, eat. we're setting yeah. them up for failure. I, I remember years back, we, I, we did a team, and we tried something, and we had parents, like the old school. You know where the parents used to bring the juice boxes and some of the kids? Well, I'm making parents, and we're bringing a lot of water-based fruit in there on purpose. And I would literally, every inning, make our guys eat it. We did it for two tournaments, and then we took it away. I told the parents, all right, now don't do it. On the third event, I want to see it. And the kids were literally dying and like we need we need fruit i need something to eat and because once their bodies started adapting to it and they're they're chunking down watermelon and cantaloupe and at first they're laughing at it like ah, this baby's always you know going but then they start okay when i took it away from them they realized how much they need it and uh yeah Yeah, but but you gotta gotta buy from the vendors inside the facility you gotta eat a dried up hamburger hot dog maybe maybe some popcorn you know maybe a snickers that's what you get a game day burger though so good so tasty if you're coaching if not if you're playing. I'm nothing better than seeing your kid walk up with a chili cheese fries in between the game. Like, I put my money on that kid to make it, though. For some reason, that kid always makes it. The in-between game frozen Snickers. 